Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at the Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to Fever Dreams. We're joined once again this week by Daily Beast editor Andrew Carell. Andrew, welcome back. What's good? All right, man. Another guest host episode for you. Are you really ready to bring the heat? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. I I feel like you're kind of of carving out a niche here with these intros. (laughs) Too cool for school. I think it's a persona I want to go for. I don't know. We're we're workshopping this. We're, We're slowly workshopping it. Okay, Andrew, we're recording this episode on Tuesday. This is the final, possibly the final day of right-wing activist Laura Loomer. <laughs> Not of her, but but of her congressional campaign. She's running in Florida. She's got this primary against a pretty well-entrenched incumbent. But I think she might have found a secret weapon to defeat Dan Webster. It is a bunch of uh, elderly folks, uh, self-described boomers, chanting, Boomers for Loomer! Boomers for Loomer. And we can play the audio here. Andrew, what did you make of this video as this made the rounds? It actually makes total sense to me that the villages would embrace her like that because Laura Loomer has like the energy of like an absolutely horned up, wildly eccentric, like mid 60s divorcee from a certain part of Florida. You know, between like between hating Muslims, getting banned from Uber, uh, (laughs) like handcuffing herself to Twitter's headquarters, like very theatrical. And then also, you may recall sloppily hitting on a neo like a neo-Nazi, I think, at that party in 2017 or something. Yes, with very line, memorably, incredibly. Like, right, like lines like, I have big boobs and an Ashkenazi IQ. Baby, you can't handle this kind of energy. Like, it totally yeah. makes sense. She would she would absolutely party at the villages. You know, I've, I've followed Laura Loomer's work for many years, but I feel like with just a few words, you have offered more psychological insight <laughs> into her work. Yeah, so Laura Loomer, yeah, yeah you kind of ran down some of her greatest hits. Now she's running for Congress. And, you know, I, I hate to be in the, the predictions-making business, although I guess I, maybe I don't because I offer a lot of predictions. We'll know this by the time the episode comes out, but I am feeling, I'm, I'm locking this in, I'm feeling an upset here. I feel like Laura might pull it off. I have a little bit of anecdotal evidence of this. I think usually when you have a wacko running in a primary like this, like when you have a QAnon person or stuff like that, the reality is that they don't really have much support. You know, and and when you see videos of them, like when you, I think of uh, Ron Watkins, the purported operator of the Q account, 
when he ran for Congress and you would see these videos and it was like he had one person on his campaign staff. Okay, well, that guy's not going to win. But then you watch these videos like the Boomers for Loomer video or the Villages, also the, the massive retirement community we're referring to. They had a like hundred roughly golf cart loomer parade and you look at that and you think i don't know bunch of these people seem really into her maybe they can pull this off especially because dan webster the guy she's running against seems to be nowhere on the campaign trail he hasn't debated her he seems to be dealing with a ton of medical issues so presumably that's curtailed his campaigning so i mean she really seems to be on the offensive you know maybe that won't be enough but you know we shall see the implication of this being that if she wins the primary she will definitely win a house seat because it's such a conservative district and Congress is about to be far crazier. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be the median Move moderate over, member yeah. of the party if Laura Loomer gets in there. Because, I mean, this is a woman who has promised to, to you know, confront Ilhan Omar with cameras and all this kind of stuff in Congress. So I think really, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's various stunts will look relatively mild if she gets in there. Yeah, there's not even a word for it. It's like a level beyond unhinged. Uh, but also, yeah, old people vote in droves. So, <laughs> like, the, you know, these every person in that room is going to turn up on to vote like that's no question yeah and i mean what are they doing they don't really have a lot going on besides campaigning right i mean like this is a community of old folks and you know you imagine the people in that room and these these golf cart people like you know sure maybe i'll spend a week trying to get all my other buddies to vote for laura loomer i mean age has played an interesting role in this race as i mentioned dan webster uh has some health conditions laura loomer has been like really on the attack about how old and decrepit he supposedly is yeah that's right she claimed that he was wearing a life alert necklace you know this is the thing that if you fall over you can like call a 911 I asked his staff about it, and they said, they didn't say it in exactly these words, but they said, no, it's an air ionizer, a a device of dubious scientific value. He actually discussed it in a committee hearing where he asked the FDA or something why they don't promote these ionizers while wearing it. And they were like, well, it's because it has no actual effect. (laughs) So... Point being, she's kind of been on the attack. Like, this guy is, he's hes old. He's an old guy. You know, he's really decrepit. I wrote this up as being kind of a dubious attack in the, probably the oldest congressional district in the nation. Uh, on the, you know, I, I've seen this article now mentioned in some anti-Loomer flyers floating around the villages. It's like, you know, she's ageist. But, you know, I think she might pull it off. Yeah, it's very much Saul Goodman-esque sort of ingratiating herself to an elderly community with sort of like, you know, a little bit of showmanship and a little bit of deceptive practices, but it it just, it makes absolute sense. Like, and also these people are all, you know, the villages are also all horned up septuagenarians too. So it's just, it's going to work for her. I think, (laughs) you know, each guest host has brought their own take on current events. <laughs> but I really appreciate what you're bringing, Andrew. Uh, but you know, yeah, in terms of Laura Loomer, a little flim flam, never hurt anybody. <laughs> a, a little showmanship, and uh, and she's certainly bringing that. And speaking of people, Andrew, who have gotten very far on pure showmanship or showwomanship, an interesting angle and a dream. We return once again to the icy north to hear from the QAnon queen of Canada, Romana Dudulo, who has somehow gotten far worse since we last discussed her on the podcast. Andrew, do you uh, swear allegiance to Queen Romana? Absolutely. And her disco love. Oh, we'll get into it. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) So this is a woman who is sort of an outgrowth of QAnon. Very little is known about her pre-QAnon life. I believe she's a Filipino immigrant to Canada. She's a middle-aged woman named Romana Dudulo. Back in 20 
2021, she claimed that Q had appointed her Queen of Canada. This is honestly like a, it's sort of a QAnon success story because, you know, with some of these people you have, they, they had some kind of like conspiracy theory background beforehand. But with her, she was really someone no one had ever heard of. And, but she got a couple QAnon people on Telegram to co-sign that she was now the Queen of Canada. And she has managed to amass like a, at least hundreds of very devoted followers. She crisscrosses the country of Canada in a caravan of RVs meeting with her followers all over the place. She has a purple maple leaf flag. So we talked about her, I believe, when she was planning to expand to the kingdom of the United States. Unfortunately, it seems as though she's already feuding with her, I guess, viceroy here. So I don't know if Romana is going to get down here. But I, I bring her up because Vice's Mac Lamaru has just a fabulous and very kind of grim look at life inside the, uh, the Queen's caravan. Andrew, would it surprise you to learn that uh, crisscrossing the country with a otherwise penniless wannabe queen of Canada, things get pretty ugly? Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> so, so the kind of the, the the ground the ground we should lay here is that. So the deal is, while it may be funny to say, "Oh, this lady's a queen," you know, she's got a kind of a. If you think back to, I think the the mid aughts, micronations were all the rage. I participated in some micronations back in the day. You know, these kind of internet online uh, nations. But in her case, she takes it a bit further in a, sort of a more violent way. She's talked about urging her followers to execute people who give children vaccines. Uh, one of her followers was arrested for allegedly you know, plotting to shoot up a school over vaccinations. And more recently, she urged her followers, she said, we're going to do a citizen's arrest on a bunch of cops because they've been enforcing COVID laws, you know, presumably over masking and vaccines. So I think this was two weeks ago. They showed up at a police station. You know, I think people were concerned there would be a big confrontation. But for a while, the cops were just like, no, you can't come in and arrest us. <laughs> and... The vice reporter here has a great exchange where the kind of wannabe citizens arrester tells the cops, you guys are involved in the COVID crimes and I'm placing you under arrest. And then a cop says, no, you're under arrest. And so they're trying to arrest the, the, these subjects of the queen. And there's kind of a violent scuffle. It's kind of remarkable seeing just sort of dozens of people willing to put their lives on the line here for this person who's just emerged out of nowhere. But Mac has some interesting background here on what it's like in her caravan. I guess She's bringing back the tradition of mad monarchs. You know, we don't really have this a lot anymore. But, you know, back in the day, you know, you might have, uh, I mean, it's almost like mad Roman emperor stuff. Like, if you displease her, she sort of speaks ominously about like, uh, oh, you got the RV rental an hour late. You know, a lot of times people get executed for treason for doing that. And these people are like, oh, yikes. And these are people who, by the way, you know, number one, she's convinced them they don't have to pay their utility bills or their taxes. So they're facing all these financial issues. And sometimes these people have basically abandon their children to to travel uh, you know do the rv caravan with her but to me i think the most striking detail was the disco andrew can you expand on that yeah so they reported i think there was some song from a disco super group that every morning she would play for several hours was it like it just play oh a 10-hour drive her staff would just sit and listen to her playing rasputin a song by boney m yeah i had never heard of this song before but it goes kind of like And, and so if you can imagine, so she would like just blast this, like, you know, you're in some random hotel and then suddenly you hear like, rah, rah, Rasputin. And it's like, oh, crap, we got to load up the RV. <laughs> Time to go. Yeah. She would blast this thing 
At one point, yes, as you said, she played Ra Ra Rasputin for a 10-hour drive. And supposedly she's dancing around saying, we got a war, people! And just, like, dancing in the RV as this music plays. I mean, to me, it reminded me a lot of the um, Alfred Molina scene in Boogie Nights, you know, yeah. where he's, like, really coked up, and there's a guy throwing firecrackers, and you, and you just, these people seem to have wondered, how did I find myself in this situation? Yeah, it also sounds like she found, like, you know, one of those YouTube videos of, like, Justin Bieber, 10 hours of one Justin Bieber song on repeat. And it's just, she found, ten, <laughs> you know, YouTube, she's YouTube search 10 hours of Rasputin by Boney M. And it's just, but, I mean, I guess the vibes aren't good. It, it, you know, is the simple way to put it. Or are they? I don't know. Could it be, you know, it, like when she's starting to execute people, is it like funny, haha, I'm going to execute you? Or is it like legitimately menacing? No, no, because she'll say, like, you know, let's say, you, you know, it, it'd be like if you were like late to podcasting today. <laughs> And I posted on Twitter, like, um, Andrew has become a traitor to the cause. I mean, because basically she's saying on Telegram, and, and, you know, this is something we've seen in other QAnon groups and in other kind of like conspiracy theory communities where often the people they really focus their ire most intensely on are the people closest to them. And they'll say, oh, bad news. You know, our movement was infiltrated by an FBI snitch who was undermining us by, you know, screwing up the hotel reservation. And then all these followers say, um, you know, traitors should hang or like let's make an example of him and given the actual at least one criminal investigation related to a mass shooting plot related to these folks um it sort of seems as though her followers were not thrilled to be uh, put on blast there the the rv journey in this story uh, culminates in her essentially getting mad at her her followers for various reasons and abandoning them in Newfoundland, uh, which is a very remote province of Canada. These people were basically 2,000 miles away from their homes, and they thought, the queen has abandoned us. But the good news is she's found more followers since then. They wear these all-white uniforms, and they recently recorded a video where they insist that they aren't hostages. <laughs> so, you know, that's... That's, a, that's always a good sign when you have to put out a video like that. Yeah. A non-media friend was asking recently if, like, these QAnon movements, are they headed for some kind of broader targeted violence? And, of course, you, you, know, you mentioned that there are investigations related to it already, but broader targeted violence like, like a comic pizza but on a Capitol riots level. And it kind of dawned on me, uh, especially when reading about this, like, actually the more potentially likely outcome is, like, a Jonestown massacre type event. You know, we all toss around the word cult like we do Griff, but I feel like the way that these groups form around like leaders like her and the way everybody, everyday people, because it sounds like these followers are just like everyday people with kind of their own issues. And it feels like it just transcends politics. Like these aren't necessarily just like right wing people. It's just they're everyday people that kind of get caught up on it, like lost people. They're not really ideologues. And I feel like violence within these groups is definitely a likely outcome. Yeah, I mean, I it, I think that's a great way to put it. Unfortunately, um, you know, you look at this picture of of these people in their all white uniforms, sort of sitting outside the RV, and it does look very cult like. You know, I, I had some experience with a group like this uh, in the U.S., the Austin Steinbart Baby Q group, who were all living in a compound together and all this stuff. Unfortunately, that group broke up peacefully, thanks in part to the inter intervention of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think unfortunately that is a, a reality of it, and and that's what it does get us into the serious aspect of this i mean the this sort of the pomp and circumstance of the romano dudulo thing and their feckless attempts to citizens arrest police officers may be funny but you know this vice story makes the point that this may be the most dangerous QAnon group out there the caveat i guess i would say to that is parentheses with the exception of all of the QAnon followers in the united states who recently tried to overthrow the government <laughs> so but i mean certainly it is a, a more organized than, than the kind of the january 6th rabble it's very odd to see QAnon sort of 
twist and turn in all these various ways um, to the point where this woman now is sort of implying that she's an alien and a queen and all this stuff. But like I said, now it's coming to America, uh, you know, once she can smooth things over with her viceroy. Hell yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Take me. Beam me up. (laughs) Well, it is kind of a funny thing where it's like, you know, sometimes if you could get in on the ground floor of something, like there's a lot of benefit (laughs) to be had. Because you can definitely see, you know, she's appointing... You know, basically anyone, like if you say, hey, Romana, I'm your first follower in New York State. And she says, OK, great. You're uh, the Duke of New York. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so I, I, I do think there's some kind of first mover advantage here. Well, speaking of conspiracy theories, Andrew, I believe you've been looking into the ways that the recent death of actress Anne Heche have been subsumed into conspiracy theories. No celebrity death is ever, you know, it goes without any sort of conspiracy theory around it or no, not even celebrities, no political death, no, no, any death, you know, has doesn't isn't met with conspiracy theories. But hers, of course, was people. I mean, as we were speaking of QAnon, it immediately went to she was murdered in a plot to cover up uh, her work on basically revealing a massive pedophile ring. Uh, I think I think it's based I think the conspiracy started because Anne Heche had been shooting a lifetime movie about a woman who was looking for her daughter who may have been a victim of human trafficking. That, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think this is an opportunity to talk about the way that, the, yeah, this phenomenon over the past four or five years or so, where whenever anyone dies uh, in an untimely way with any sort of celebrity behind them, it is subsumed into the idea that they were murdered either by Hillary Clinton or by the cabal or the World Economic Forum or what have you. And so Anne Hesh here is, or Anne Hesh is, as you said, I mean, there's this viral video going around saying that she was working on alternately it's a movie, a documentary about Jeffrey Epstein. And, and the reality is, it's this lifetime movie that's coming out next month involving a woman looking for her daughter who's been kidnapped. I don't think it has anything to do with Jeffrey Epstein. This is an easy one. And honestly, there's more evidence behind this than most of these conspiracy theories, because there actually is this movie that exists. But this is an easy one to sort of append into this universe. I thought it was worth considering some of these other examples. When Robin Williams died, they said, oh, you know, Robin Williams was about to reveal uh, the truth about the cabal, and that's why they offed him. A big one is the the DJ Avicii was, was murdered by the cabal. And a lot of times, the evidence they find for this is, it'll be like a quote of um, someone saying, you know, 10 years ago, like, yeah, a lot of people in Hollywood are creeps or saying like, there are a lot of temptations of fame. And then they, they sort of spin that out to be, you know, this person was invited to the, uh, the adrenochrome dungeon. Yeah. I mean, a big one for me that I remember is uh, as a, uh, a white guy in my thirties, my hero, Anthony Bourdain, you know, he, when he died, there was a, a lot of conspiracy theories because before he died, he was a big advocate. He became like a me too guy, you know, on behalf of his then girlfriend, and Asia Argento. And the whole thing was that, you know, actually he was using his episodes in the Alsatian region, or I forget where he was when he died, but those episodes were going to be about exposing, he was going to turn it over to exposing a pedophile ring in Hollywood, you know, because he had already been attacking Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it was later revealed that also Asia also had her own Me Too issues and like, you know, it was much more complicated than that. But also just imagining parts unknown, like an episode where he's just like trying some Alsatian food and then it's just like and actually there's this pedophile ring in Hollywood like it just these people are so disconnected from what actually any of these people do I, I think it's a great point I mean Anthony Bourdain is a huge one for that you know and, and just to show you how widespread these are just this week CNN had a had an investigation into the social media behavior of Mark Fincham a guy we've mentioned before now running as a Republican to run Arizona's elections as their Secretary of State he's part of the Wano Savin QAnon coalition that's come up on the podcast among his social media 
posts are a face, uh, it looks like a Facebook post about the death of Fast and the Furious star Paul Walker. So mm. it says, uh, you know, his car hit a tree and caught fire. But this video makes it look more like an explosion. He was set to come forward exposing the Clinton Foundation crimes against children in Haiti. You know, obviously that that also dovetails with the, you know, the famous whenever anyone dies thing where it's like, um, you know, I have imp- information, you know, implicating Hillary Clinton in, you know, these various crimes. Overall, I, I just wanted to explore this phenomenon of, of people dying suddenly uh, and then being sort of subsumed into these conspiracy theories. And honestly, you don't even always need celebrity to, to have it happen. I mean, sometimes it can be various circumstances. I think of uh, of Seth Rich, for example. It's also interesting because sometimes when someone dies at a very old age and with many documented health conditions, they are assumed to have also been murdered. So when George H.W. Bush or John McCain died, people said, oh, well, they were executed by Q down at Guantanamo Bay for their crimes. They did not die of natural causes. So they were executed for aiding the pedophile ring? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, oh, their, okay. their their ticket came up, yeah. My timeline is hazy, forgive me, but when Scalia died, I remember there was conspiracy theories that Hillary was behind it, that they that they sent in a team to smother him with a pillow or whatever. I forget if Q was around at that point. Yeah, QAnon did not exist at that point. I mean, this is kind of, yeah, th- this is a, like, you know, it's just sort of a free-floating idea that can be kind of borrowed, right, is is this idea. I mean, obviously, we... We have the, the the Hillary Clinton murder beliefs going back to the 90s. You know, it's known as being Arkansided. Vince Fosterized. Yeah, <laughs> Vince Fosterized. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, what more is to say about this besides the fact that I I, I think this is, uh, you know, whenever, literally whenever a celebrity uh, dies suddenly, they, they, will, they will be appended to this. And, and I think their photos will be added to various infographics. Yep. Who do we have as a guest today, Will? All right, this week we've got... Rolling Stone reporter Nikki McCann Ramirez. She's coming on to talk about someone we've we tried, we discussed before on the podcast, but someone who has only gotten bigger since since his fever dreams mention. Uh, former kickboxer turned awful man, TikTok man, Andrew Tate. He's everywhere right now. Now, before Nikki comes on, you know, I thought we could lay some groundwork here on Andrew Tate. So this is a guy who is a sort of like a combination pickup artist, but more like he teaches people how to be really bad to women. And and he has these these kind of like um, very weird takes. And some of his takes are, are, and he states them with such confidence that I think he's become very viral on TikTok. Some of these videos, he says like, why don't you drink sparkling water? Sparkling water is a rich man's water. Don't drink poor man's water with it being tap water. Um, and then people say, oh, they don't like the bubbles. Why are you such a little bitch that you're afraid of bubbles? Now, I can see the appeal there. I mean, this is a guy speaking very intensely about, you know, totally frivolous things. Unfortunately, he's also terrible to women. There have been these videos of him beating women. Uh, You know, he has awful ideas about how to treat women that are apparently catching on with young men. Um, This is a guy who, uh, in the past few weeks, has been more Googled than uh, Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump. So this this guy is uh, has unfortunately become a very big character. And as as I reported, you know, a few months back, he's also under investigation for human trafficking in Romania. So this is a guy who really is suddenly everywhere. Um, and, and so I'm excited for Nikki to explain what his deal is and now how the social media networks are cracking down on. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. This week on Fever Dreams, our guest is Rolling Stone political news reporter Nikki McCann Ramirez. I think our first, second-time guest. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so, you know, this week we brought you back on. The last time we had you to talk about the Tucker Carlson testicle tanning documentary. Now we brought you again to explain what's going on in the manosphere. Topic this week is Andrew Tate. I realize that Andrew Tate is sort of a, a, a wide-ranging and amorphous topic. But if you could, I mean, who is Andrew Tate? What is his deal? And why does it seem like people are just talking about him all over the internet over the past few weeks? Of course. So Andrew Tate generally is a former kickboxer who rose to prominence in the last like kind of four or five years in two ways. The first one was after the end of his boxing career, he was on the UK edition of the reality show Big Brother, where he was kicked off the show after a video of him beating a woman with a belt emerged on social media. The like context of the video is a little complicated. Tay and a woman who was allegedly the woman in the video claim the encounter was consensual but what happened was big brother kicked him off the show it kind of became like a minor scandal in the uk the other way some people who knew of tate before the last few months may have recognized his name is because for a really long time there were kind of rumors that jordan peterson's daughter michaela peterson was dating a very sketchy romanian guy who was kind of allegedly involved in some sort of sex trafficking And then all of a sudden, this man is on everyone's social media, just has kind of completely exploded in the last several months. And the reason he's gotten very viral is his kind of misogynistic, very anti-woman, alpha male rants that have just been populating social media. And there's a couple of reasons and a couple of strategy he uses to get his content out there. But it really felt like over the span of like three or four months, this guy, Andrew Tate, went from being someone who was kind of known in certain circles. You kind of knew of him if you knew a little bit about the UK reality TV scene. And then he's just become sort of like the face of male misogyny. That's a great way to put it. He was sort of one of these, I would say, at least from the American perspective, sort of an ancillary right-wing manosphere figure. And then sort of a few months after the Romanian human trafficking raid on his compound, he sort of has become really all over social media. Talk to me about the role TikTok has played here. I mean, it it sort of seems like really more than other social media networks, TikTok has been the place where his clips uh, proliferate. Absolutely. So he's very prolific across social media. His biggest active platform, a platform that he actively had an account that he used was Instagram, where he had about 4.6 million followers. On TikTok, we know that Andrew Tate had a large presence across Instagram, where he had about 4.6 million followers. There is an account on TikTok that we believe to be was directly affiliated with Tate, but it would never post. However, views featuring Tate on TikTok have millions upon millions of views. 
And the way this came about to be is through an organization Tate runs called Hustlers University. Is this an accredited university? It is not an accredited university. No, you will not get a diploma. Hustlers University is essentially a kind of, it's Tate's personal become like me program. Uh, Subscribers can pay, I think it's around, at this point, it's around 50 bucks a month for access to a Discord server where they will get exclusive, you know, kind of like sign up, subscribe to my Patreon type advice about dating, finances, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of Tate's like personal platform to get people to pay him money while like promising them the resources to become like Andrew Tate himself. How effective this is, is up for debate. But part of that program is that there is a little bit of a, of a discount hook where You as a user get like an affiliate link, you know, like, I don't know if you have an Uber Eats code and you send your friend your link, you'll get 10 bucks off if they sign up for the service, something similar to that. And their users are encouraged to repost videos and content featuring Andrew Tate, include their affiliate link, and they will get a discount on their monthly subscription. What this has resulted in is hundreds and hundreds, I think possibly thousands of accounts that are kind of Andrew Tate's Stan accounts, just reposting clips of him all over social media, all over TikTok. Obviously, TikTok's algorithm, whenever there is a trend of that nature, a hashtag that is receiving a lot of videos, a lot of engagement, they boost it. So within the last two months, you could not scroll through TikTok without seeing a video of Andrew Andrew Tate. And the issue kind of was exacerbated when streamers, podcasters, other kind of internet personalities saw this guy who was very outlandish making just kind of heinous, almost unbelievable remarks about women. And they were all like, oh, this would be a great guy to interview. We should have him on our shows, which really only kind of boosted his presence, gave him and his fans more content to clip. And it just kind of became a self-feeding cycle until several people kind of in the community, in the online space, just were like, why are we platforming this guy? He kind of seems like an asshole. And I think he peaked in like late July, early August. And then from there, there's been just a continuous backlash. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the reports, and I'm sure, you know, you, you've written about this too, is just like the way that there's these middle school programs now where they're, they're like instructing teachers on how to handle kids being into him and stuff like that. And like, I'm wondering if there seems to be this trend of, people like him exploiting algorithms, uh, you know, these masculine, I guess you would call them extreme masculine content, and they very much appeal to young men. Uh, and it feels like there's like people going down this wormhole from seemingly more innocuous content, like this guy Liver King, who just eats raw organ meat and instructs, you know, young men, if you want to be buff like me, a big buff boy <laughs> like me, you got to eat only raw organ meat and uh, don't catch a feeling for a woman. Instead, just hang out with me and, and eat raw meat and live in the woods or whatever else he does and flexes his pecs to like, you know, guys who are weightlifters who repost video of women doing things, you know, presumably in in less clothing, you know, like thirst trap stuff, they repost that and then appear at the end of the video to be like, go to the gym, stuff like that. And then you get all the way to Andrew Tate. And I feel like, have we reached the nadir of this like sort of toxic masculinity taking advantage of like our age of loneliness where kids are just online and they're just looking for an answer to why they feel so lonely and why they're why they can't get dates presumably or something like is it it getting worse do you see something worse coming the first thing is that there's there's kind of always an andrew tate i think kind of teenage 
disaffection with your love life, your social life, your like social standing is ubiquitous throughout history. I think it's part of growing up. I think the advent of platforms like TikTok, where the algorithm is so sensitive and is so responsive to your engagement, has really lowered the barriers for young people between, you know, feeling kind of bad because the girl you like or the boy you like doesn't like you or feeling kind of weird about your friendship circle, your social circle, where you are in your life at that point in time. Because obviously, like everyone remembers being in middle school and high school, it fucking sucked. It's lowered the barriers between having those feelings and finding toxic outlets with which to redirect those feelings. I think, obviously, it's hard for parents to kind of always be on top of what their kids are looking at. I also don't think it's super healthy for parents to constantly constantly be looking over their kids' shoulders. But when it comes to people like Andrew Tate, who are actively exploiting algorithms and actively creating content that isn't only directed towards a specific demographic, but is instructing that demographic to mistreat another demographic, platforms have a responsibility to address that. And I think a lot of the platforms that we're now seeing ban Tate already had the tools and the content standards in place to ban him a lot earlier. And I think it just goes beyond Andrew Tate saying, you know, like nasty, misogynistic things about women. This was a man who was actively bragging about his, you know, a lot of them still alleged crimes and criminal enterprises. And platforms also have a responsibility to like make sure that kind of thing isn't being advocated and marketed to children. I've I've seen some of the videos of what is talked about and what sort of the lessons are in Hustlers University. And a lot of them really just sound like fraudulent money-making schemes. And this is something that is being marketed to young people. Can we get some examples of, uh, of these schemes? Oh my gosh. I'm a little short on, on cash this month. So, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, the first, like Hustlers University, like the discord server, a lot of it is focused around crypto and financial investing. I can also go back and look because these were videos I watched like last week, but it's basically you, there is a quote unquote professor in this discord who does like stock picks for you. And you can kind of like mimic those stock picks. And there's really not a lot of transparency about what goes. They're also, they're not just stock picks. There's another term I'm completely blanking out on right now, but basically you can invest in financial markets. They'll be like, Oh, the professor thinks that like, this is a good bet and you can invest money in that. And from what I understand, because I am not going to pay 49 bucks to be on this platform, everything I've seen is through like other content creators who have paid for the platform and reviewed it or have discussed it on the Reddit page. There's really not of transparency about like what is behind those picks. There's a light kind of cursory educational effort. But the reality is that the Discord service you're paying for is essentially like Wall Street bets with less feedback. Mm-hmm. If if anyone's ever been on the subreddit Wall Street Bets, that's kind of the big function of kind of the crypto investment side of that platform. But also, if you look up on YouTube, like lessons, like clips from Andrew Tate's Hustlers University, there is one video where he basically instructs people to set up an online store without having any product, sell that product as if you had it. And then use kind of the money you make off that to sort of back order 
whatever thing you said you were selling. It's not a lot of sound financial advice. He's not <laughs> instructing people on how to like, you know, create an LLC so you're financially protected. The streamer Hassan Piker Hassanabi on Twitch has a really good review video of one of those. It's financial advice that could actively get you in trouble with like the feds. And I think that also goes back to why a lot of people categorize or describe some of his business ventures as sort of like a male MLM. And like, there's very specific requirements for something to be a multi-level marketing scheme. But a lot of the business is centered around getting people to pay for the service and then having them sign up their friends. And that goes back to kind of the affiliate codes. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a multi-level marketing scheme, but it has a lot of those kind of, you know, scammy red flags you look for or you can spot when you're looking for a scam. So, Nikki, you mentioned the social media crackdown on Andrew Tate. What is the latest on this? It feels like just over the past week or so, the big platforms realize like, hey, maybe we shouldn't uh, be letting this guy proliferate so much. Yeah. So the kind of like cascade of bans kicked off last week. It was first Instagram and Facebook. He was banned off of the meta platforms. After that, I think other platforms felt like they kind of had to go ahead to pull the trigger and ban him as well. So it started Facebook, Instagram. He had 4.6 million followers on Instagram at the time that he was banned. And that was kind of a big hit to him. Then YouTube and TikTok barred him. His YouTube account was also fairly big. As I mentioned earlier, he didn't really have an official presence on TikTok. It was a lot of auxiliary, like third-party accounts posting his content. So we'll have to see how TikTok handles that. The one we're waiting on, which is, aside from TikTok, probably the most important platform he's on is Twitch. What we know is that Tate may have preemptively nuked his own Twitch account. If you go to Twitch, his, his URL, the name of his account was Tate Speech intended, I think, as a play on words on hate speech. It's like this guy, he's just telling us what he's doing. He's self-reporting all the time. But if you go to his like former Twitch URL, there's a notice that indicates the channel was closed by the user. The reason this may have happened is because Twitch has a rule that if you're banned from the platform and you start appearing on other users' channels, those channels can also be banned. It's unclear if Twitch can retroactively ban a user that no longer has a channel on the platform, if that makes sense. So this may have been a preemptive protective measure by Tate to kind of ensure that he can still appear on other streamers' platforms, even though he doesn't have an official Twitch account. So we're still waiting to hear from Twitch how they're going to handle that. So, you know, it's interesting, the ways that Tate was able to proliferate online, you know, as you mentioned by, you know, various streamers and and YouTube personalities sort of treating him as this like epic weirdo guy that you'd have on and and be like, don't you think you should be nice to women, Andrew Tate? And he would say like, shut up, ho. And they go, this guy's crazy. But what's wild about him is he's really like very open about the fact that, I mean, he he treats women in, in violent ways. I mean, he claims to have essentially left the United Kingdom and moved to Romania because he was facing complaints made by 11 women um, regarding various forms of assault. You know, as I mentioned, I mean, we've known since April that the Romanian police had raided his compound with his brother over allegations that an American citizen, uh, you know, that she had made various allegations. It's a little unclear what, but supposedly related to human trafficking. And so it has been very bizarre watching him transform after the fact into into this very prominent figure. Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily went away at any point. I think the content Tate 
is spewing at the moment or was spewing on social media before all these bans was still a kind of window into the reality of his lifestyle, which is this is a man who, in his own words, manipulates women into sex work, whether or not that is true or not. It's something that he said he used to have on his website that his job was to get women to fall in love with him so he could convince them to join his camming business, which is kind of classic grooming pimp tactics to kind of manipulate women into sex work. We know through his own social media presence, he's acted out beating up women, choking women. He's talked about how if a woman ever accused him of like cheating, he would threaten her with a machete and choke her out. And these are all things that he didn't say he choked a woman, but he said he would if she ever accused him of anything. And even now, it's not just that he's saying that like, oh, women belong in the kitchen and women are property. It's that he's still alluding to treating the women he surrounds himself with in that manner. And beyond that, it's not just that platforms have a responsibility to make sure that the user's on their websites are respecting other users. It's also not letting people get away with, you know, kind of broadcasting mistreatment of the people around them and categorizing that as just like, oh, that's not our problem. I think it's not just that Andrew Tate is making comments that are disrespectful to women. I think it's that he's actively disrespecting other users on the platform as well. I think a really notable incident was on a Twitch stream with a user named Clicks, where Clicks had his 17-year-old girlfriend next to him during the stream. It was kind of just like a couple people chatting and Tate was on, this Twitch user was on, had his girlfriend on. Tate at one point turns to the girlfriend and tells her, when you turn 18, when you're like basically legal, hit me up for a real man. And it turned into a bit of a verbal altercation on the stream, but it's that kind of behavior where you see an adult man actively making like really suggestive sexual comments at an underage girl and he's still allowed to be on the platform. That's not just, you know, making comments about women's role in society. That's actively disrespecting another user. And I think the platforms that Tate were, was on allowed this to happen for far too long before taking action. I think they waited until there was a critical mass of people calling for him to be banned before they actually felt empowered to do so. Some of the shit he says is truly, really wild. <laughs> Yeah. It could be comedy almost. Like it's just Yeah. Some of his takes are truly stupid. It's like a marvel that he's even that he's even popular. That's the scary part for me. There was a TikTok user whose name I'm blanking out on, and it's so unfair because she made a fantastic point. Tate's ban on Instagram and Facebook came a day or so after a YouTuber named Daz Black made a really viral video criticizing Tate. And Daz had also apparently heard from multiple women who knew Tate, I think had dated Tate previously, who didn't want to go on the record, but like spoke to Daz about abuse they faced at the hands of Tate. And Daz basically broke down why Tate was bad, why he shouldn't be on the platforms. The video went super viral. And within 24 hours, he was banned from Facebook and Instagram. I think it had like more than 5 million views at the time he was banned. But this TikToker, whose name I'm forgetting, and it's very unfair, made a very good point that women and other people all over the platforms had been raising flags about Tate pretty much since he started appearing on the apps. I think a lot of the reaction to his banning has been, oh, you just can't ban people because you don't like what they say. And that, oh, you know, he has good points about fitness and health and being financially independent. 
And, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, but that doesn't mean you let the broken clock say that it's okay to, like, go after, like, teenage girls because they're easier to manipulate, which is something that Tate said, that he wouldn't date a woman over 25 because women over 25 were used up and young girls at the age of, like, 18 or young women at the age of 18 and 19 were easier for him to mold and imprint on. And it's kind of that idea that idea that I think a lot of the alpha male sphere, a lot of the manosphere rests on that, oh, as long as I'm, you know, providing unobjectionable commentary on fitness and health and the, like, virtues of wealth and financial independence, then the commentary I make about women or degrading women or advocating for violence against women in this bit or glorifying violence against women in this case in particular, then that doesn't matter because I'm right about something. So it doesn't matter if I'm wrong about these things. And as long as I'm saying some things that are good and true, I have a place in the public square. Very Jordan Peterson-esque. Extremely, extremely. Very interesting stuff. Now, Nikki, on another topic, you're also known for your passionate watching of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> when you were at Media Matters, I, I, you watch Tucker Carlson every night. It seems like you've maybe eased up on your Tucker since going to Rolling Stone. What has it been like no longer being America's most devoted Tucker Carlson viewer? Oh, my gosh. I So, yeah, I very intentionally took a break once I started this new job. It honestly feels like a fog has lifted from my brain. <laughs> truly, no, I didn't realize. You had long Tucker. I had long yeah. Tucker. I truly had long Tucker. <laughs> it was just one of the, I think there was just one of those moments, because I had to watch him again the other night, um, a coworker of mine who's in a different time zone and like couldn't get live access to him. We needed to look something up, so I watched it live. And my two reactions were, oh my fucking God, this is so fucking stupid. And two, that I had just become numb to the mo some of the most insanely vitriolic shit that's allowed on television. And I think coming out of it and having a little bit of space, it also makes me realize like how good Fox News is at giving its viewers intrusive thoughts. It's really one of like the classic, I don't know if anyone in middle school had a teacher that tried to teach them the Cornell notes method or whatever, but there was that like fucking little phrase of repetition equals retention. It's that like Fox news entire model for <laughs> model for social engineering is just repeating something and like flashing things at its viewers enough times. So they just go out into the world and like see a stimulus and have an intrusive thought or like have a response to it. And now that I've gotten to do that less, I feel like I'm operating like much more of a normal person. And it's great. I'm loving it. <laughs> That's so interesting. You know, heavy cannabis users will take a tea break, what they call a tea break, to get their tolerance back, uh, you know, so, 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 <laughs> down so they can enjoy it. You took a tea break of your own, a Tucker break. And now mm -hmm. you can see it with fresh eyes. Yeah, certainly. I've, I've seen your tweets where, you know, you come back to this and you're like, y'all seeing this? This is the most popular show in America. This is nuts. It's nuts. It's insane. And it just... As someone, like, I think now I've kind of transitioned a little more into having one foot in, you know, regular day-to-day -day DC political news, one foot in sort of weird niche extremist content, kind of taking those steps back and not being so tuned into how everything travels through that very established media pipeline. It's interesting now to be on sort of the final product end of the pipeline instead of, you know, the, the sausage factory where narratives are being shaped and packaged and just seeing how lawmakers, state legislatures, how people react to that content once it's put out to them. It's been a real shift. 
<laughs> I'm just grateful that Rolling Stone, you know, after your years of service, Rolling Stone is now giving you a break uh, so you can heal <laughs> your mind by covering Trump World. I know. <laughs> So therapeutic. <laughs> That's Nikki McCann Ramirez. She's a politics reporter at Rolling Stone. She's on Twitter at N I K K I M C R. Nikki McCann Ramirez, thank you so much for joining us on Fever Dreams. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. All right, Will. So, what in fresh hell is this week's fresh hell? <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, Andrew, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, this week, once again, you know, Fresh Hell, often I, you know, I journey deep into Fresh Hell, and sometimes I visit the, the Hell's uh, video rental store, and we get into some of the conservative movies out there. Now, this one is is so hotly anticipated, it hasn't even come out yet, but I wanted to highlight it. It's My Son Hunter, the upcoming Hunter Biden biopic. The trailer dropped this week. Notably, it stars Gina Carano, the once and and maybe you know still movie star uh, the woman who was kicked off of the mandalorian after she got canceled and has now turned into sort of a right-wing movie star andrew did you have a chance to watch the my son hunter trailer no not yet actually it's an interesting operation here because th- these are the folks who made the fbi lovebirds which was the tale of fbi a you know agents and, and lawyer uh peter strock and uh, lisa page were having an affair obviously became a very big deal among trump people because of their role in the russian investigation so the folks who made that play starring superman dean kane and who ultimately made it into a movie they've now made my son hunter and by the way i have to say these people cannot stop dming me they love updating me on every twist and turn of my son hunter so now my son hunter is approaching it's coming out it's being distributed by breitbart now the video is the the, in the trailer we see hunter who is played by kind of like right-wing pundit british guy guy named lawrence fox who seems to be maybe like kind of a a bit of a rascal over there but 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 i I don't really think has has yet made his break in the american market he is playing hunter i don't think he really looks like him andrew you can kind of scroll down and and see what he looks like yeah you'll know you'll notice that in the movie poster they don't use they just use a picture of of the real hunter also because i think i feel like they feel like you know our audience will think this is a documentary especially because you know one of the two directors is the guy who does all the Dinesh D'Souza uh, fraudulent documentaries. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really don't know how much of a documentary it is because Gina Carano, or, or like, or or even how how true to life it is. I mean, the the appeal of FBI Lovebirds was that it was taken entirely from their text messages, and so right. that was supposed to be. There was some veracity to that. You know, the downside was it featured Dean Kane saying like XOXO Peter Strzok with like a, like a little smile on his face. In this case. We know from the trailer that it features Joe Biden caressing and like really sniffing up on a Secret Service agent played by Gina Carano, which I don't know. I don't think that's happened for real. But yeah. it seems like a little spicier than FBI lovebirds. I mean, I, I think this is uh, we're, we're getting a little uh, little softcore with it. Oh, I was going to say, you know, Robert Davi, the guy from the Goonies, the villain from the Goonies is the director. And <laughs> yeah, he's also Robert a longtime Davi Fox News pundit. <laughs> Longtime Fox News pundit, and I will say, I, I, uh, I, uh, I went. I had, many years ago when I worked at Fox, I was in a large group of people that went to dinner with him, uh, and he was very excited to go hit on a, a table. It was in Times Square at like Buca de Beppo or one of those types of restaurants, and he was very, very excited to go hit on this uh, table of middle-aged women who were on vacation that all recognized him and, and wanted his autograph. And he, he was, I think, I remember him bragging when he got back that he got one of their keys, but I cannot. Uh, oh God. <laughs> 
a source close to me vaguely remembers it that way, but I, I don't. Andrew, we love it. We love your war stories here. Yeah. <laughs> Too hot for TV. I don't know if I'm making an allegation that can get us in trouble. Uh, but he, it feels like this is going to be softcore porn to some degree because like a lot of the things that people get pissed off about with Hunter Biden is like he did like crazy shit you know he had sex with a lot of women and he he did crack and cocaine and painted in the nude and it's like so they're going to depict all that stuff you know in the background there's a stripper on the uh, on the poster and i assume mm-hmm. somewhere in between the dialogue is just going to be the guy playing hunter Biden being like okay dad let's do the crimes or something you know well they, they love to say you know kick it up to the big guy or whatever the, the <laughs> yeah, slogan right, right, for right. the movie is the family comes first and you know you have the, <laughs> so it's a mob movie in, too, in, yeah. in the, the picture it's like kind of like the chinese flag sort of like morphing over a, a dissolving american flag i have to say though you know I, judging from the trailer i don't know if lawrence fox is gonna is a very good actor but i have to say like hunter biden the role of a lifetime what a fun role that would be right yeah yeah if anyone wants me to play hunter biden in a movie i'm in because like you, you just get to be like all right all right we're time to do the crime now now let's yeah. just smoke some drugs and stuff like that the, the one other thing i wanted to highlight here is that as i mentioned these are the folks who made fbi lovebirds a uh, gentleman named phelan mcaleer and Ann McElhenney, who I believe uh, I believe they're married. I interviewed him at CPAC after he, this is the famous COVID outbreak CPAC in February 2020 when things were really just kicking off. I, so I interviewed him and he had just come from the White House where he met with Trump about the play. And he said, oh yeah, Trump really loved the play. He talked to us for nearly an hour. And this was, I mean, if folks remember, I mean, this was really when COVID was like, we were like, what's going to happen to the world? Like the the stock market's going down. Oh my gosh, you know, are, are we all going to die? And he was just saying, oh yeah, Trump spent an hour with me talking about how much he loved my play. I was just so struck by that. So who knows, you know, maybe, uh, you know, unfortunately by the time this movie comes out, Trump will, will still be out of office. So presumably he can't um, undermine national security, you know, by just replaying uh, my my son hunter over and over but somebody will surely in the white house press room next time Biden does a briefing like one of the one of the uh more eccentric characters in the in the briefing room will ask him about it maybe maybe uh Ducey. actually peter would never do that actually but. yeah what, what what does biden think of his portrayal in my son hunter the, the other thing i think is interesting here is how so breitbart is distributing this which like for whatever that means exactly but this is not the only right-wing website that's getting into movie distribution um we remember that ben shapiro's Daily Wire distributed like a school shooting thriller uh, and I believe has done some movies since then. So really these guys are, I think they're right on the money in, in realizing that I think there's a market for like these streaming conservative movies. You know, I mean, shoot, I plunked down what, like uh, 20 bucks to watch uh, 2000 Mules. And, and, and I think I, I'm always paying for these movies and I don't even like them. So, you, you know, you have to imagine, I think there's a, a gold mine to be had there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, same way that Fox Nation and places like that, although Fox Nation wasn't successful originally, but there's definitely a market for like this. We're the real alternative to Hollywood in the way that Fox News emerged as the real alternative to the media. Absolutely. Well, when My Son Hunter eventually comes out, folks can trust that the Fever Dreams will have a review. We got to do a screening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. 
come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.